Before I start, I just wanted to also remind you that uh, daily bereds that begin in March are here. So uh, those are out on the counter out there and, and on the counter over here in, on the other side of that wall as well. So uh, feel free to pick up one. And, and if you have someone that you would like to take one to, feel free to do that as well. Uh, our scripture reading for this morning is Psalm 51, uh, verses 8 through 13. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Amen. Father, as we open Your Word this morning, we ask that You would take us and, and, and this Scripture, and we've sung the songs as well. We want to be a blessing to You. In order for that to happen, we know that You have to create in us a clean heart, a renewed spirit, and, and a working of Your Holy Spirit in us. And so we come this morning asking for that as we open Your Word and study together. In Jesus' name, Amen. We're in Matthew chapter 23, and I have to say that these are, uh, at least for me, I, I know uh, for others, I've, I've read uh, over the years, different commentators and, and uh, different preachers have found that these scriptures are somewhat difficult. Uh, and they're difficult for different reasons, I guess, depending on, on, on what your personality is like, for one thing. But one of the things that's hard for me is to think of Jesus having harsh words, but then He did cleanse the temple. And, and, and He did it with a sense of, 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 of anger, but it was righteous anger. And that's the reason why these Scriptures are hard for me. Because I really don't grasp righteous anger in the sense that I can tell you that I, have, you know, even, even when I have anger about some things that I know are against the Word of God, I normally cite abortion as, as one of those issues. I am, uh, I am pro-life, yeah, and, and I don't make any bones about it. And, and with that in mind, I, I look at it and, and, and I would like to say that that my anger is righteous. I know my anger is right, but righteous anger means free of sin. And I can't say that I have that. And the reason why I say that is as Jesus goes through these things, I can look at these things from one point of view and just say, yeah, go get them, Jesus. Just, you know, just, you know, fillet these guys, you know. And, and, uh, uh, and, he, and in a sense, he does. But he's not doing it from anger as I would come at it. He's actually doing it with a broken heart. He, 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 he weeps over the city of Jerusalem when he rides in. Uh, and, 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 and he cries for what is, is coming ahead of them. Or, or going to come to them. And so, as he goes through this chapter, verse 23, and 24 and 25 too, we realize what he's telling them is, this is the way you are. Don't stay that way. You know, you need to change. As we all do. This is a time of Passover in, in Jerusalem. And I know you probably get tired of hearing it every Sunday as, as whoever is sharing the message gives you an introduction. But we need to be reminded that there are tens of thousands of extra people here in Jerusalem. There is, a, there, there is a sense of tent cities, plural, around Jerusalem. There are marketplaces and, and different things that outside of different gates. And uh, you know, they, they figure that there could be upwards to uh, a million and a half to two and a half million people in the vicinity of Jerusalem coming for Passover at some points. Uh, Josephus bases that on the amount of lambs that were slain in the temple. 
And, and there's records of that that he quotes. And, and so we get this picture of, of, of normally, uh, at least I think most of us, we think of Jerusalem even as, as, as a city. We don't normally think of it as, as, as a big city, a huge city. And yet, during this time, it's as big as, as, as it can be. And these people are also literally from all over the, the, the known world at that point, which means they're clear from Spain. They're from uh, Gaul, which would be France. They're from Italy. They're from uh, you know, uh, Persia, from uh, uh, eastern India, and, and, and even eastern China, where they have been dispersed over the years. They come, if they can, to Jerusalem for the Passover. And while not every Jew makes it every time, they come as often as they can because this is so important to them to keep it as a nation of people together. And so they come with all these different languages and in some ways different cultures, even though they've kept their, uh, their, their Hebrew culture intact where they are, it still gets different flares of different things. I can't imagine what it would be like other than maybe having gone to a world's fair, which I've never had the opportunity to do. Maybe one of you, some of you have, uh, and, and there's that sense of, 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 of so, much, so much going on of different cultures and different things. All of this is happening in Jerusalem. But you can guarantee as many as possible of the scribes and the Pharisees and the Jewish leaders will be there. And they come, again, the, the leaders of all these different synagogues together, uh, to share in Passover. So we have these huge crowds. And in the midst of this, this is when Jesus cleanses the temple. He clears the temple out. He, and, and in so doing, He declares that, you know, who He is. He's the Messiah. He's the High Priest. He comes in riding on a donkey in a triumphal entry. He declares who He is. He is the Son of David, King Jesus. And he faces the various challenges of the Jewish leaders who are trying to, in one way or another, trip him up to discredit him so that he, they, they can get the people to turn against him and then have reason to arrest him. Up to this point, they've been unsuccessful. It says in the end of verse 20, uh, chapter 22, and the last verse, it said, No one was able to answer Jesus a word, nor from that day did anyone dare to ask Him any more questions. They were done trying to spar with Him on the spiritual things and, and the un, unanswerable questions because He had the answers. No surprise to us now looking back, but it, they didn't know what to do with Him. And so they just that was the end of it. But Jesus now speaks his mind. And he says some very strong things. We start with chapter 23, verse 1. Then Jesus said to the crowds or the multitudes and to his disciples. So now who's he speaking to? The people and his disciples. Is he speaking directly to the Pharisees? No. Directly to the scribes? No. Could there be some there? You bet. And are they listening? You can guarantee it. The scribes and the Pharisees, he, this is what he said to them. He said, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So practice and observe whatever they tell you. But not what they do. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their uh, phylacteries broad and their fringes long. And they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. But you, again speaking to the to the, the, the multitudes, but I think even more directly possibly even to the disciples here. He's saying, but you are not to be called rabbi. 
For you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. You are all equal. And call no man your father on earth, for you love one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest meaning you shall be your, the greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Powerful words. Jesus speaking to the crowds and his disciples. Again, this reflection of Passover. There's a huge multitude. He's probably teaching in one of the, uh, the temple courtyards, and 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 there's just masses of people constantly coming and going. And and so as he starts to speak, people have been following him, and others have probably have heard. By this time, they've already you know the people that maybe hadn't even heard about the possibility of of a Messiah, now that they're there, have heard it. Because it seems to be the talk of everybody. Certainly the triumphant entry was a focus on that. And would draw the attention to those that maybe hadn't even heard it. I can imagine being one of those people that get there and hearing people talk about, well, do you think he is? Do you think he's the one? Do you think he's the son of David? Do you think... And, And then all of a sudden... Uh, people breaking out in, in this chorus of Hosanna as Jesus comes riding in on a donkey and, and then breaking the palms and lining the way to put down the dust and to honor Him. And being maybe the first, the first time you've heard of this. And maybe you're in the front row and you get to see this. And all of this wonderment in your mind, in your heart, because you have been longing for the Messiah. You have been waiting for the Messiah. Because the one thing the Messiah is going to do that all of the Sadducees and all of the scribes and all of the Pharisees were teaching and had been teaching now for generations was that they were the Messiah was going to be a, a, a descendant of David. He would be the king and he would establish the, 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 the kingdom of, of, of Jerusalem once again like Solomon had. And it would be greater and even grander than it had ever been. And this is what they were looking for. So, Jesus in one of the, the, the courtyards of the temple speaks to the crowds and speaks to the disciples. As He speaks to them, He says, uh, in reference to the scribes and the Pharisees, He says, they sit themselves, uh, they, they sit on Moses' feet. The word sit here implies with it the word themselves. They sit themselves on Moses' seat. A position of authority. In other words, they are the teachers. A position of authority. We speak on behalf of Moses. Now, the interesting thing was, there is nothing in Scripture that gave them this authority. It's years of tradition that gave them this, and and they would you know, and 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 they would sit in their in their uh, synagogues as well as as at home. They would sit as the ones who were in authority over the Word of God. They were the scholars. They were the theologians. They were the lawyers. Sometimes we see the Word. And when we see lawyers, it again masters first in the idea that they had their theology of Moses and the law of Moses down, which meant they could also then handle situations to discern how to deal with your one-on-one situations with people. Oh, you're, the ox dropped dead while you were using it, and it was borrowed from your neighbor. Oh, well, the Word of God tells you you are to replace that ox as, as, as a new one to, to your neighbor if you borrowed it. And, you're, and there's even a detail to that. If your neighbor comes with it, you're not obligated. But if your neighbor does, you needed someone to parse these things and make sure that it was happening. And they would deal with these things, and they normally dealt with them at the, the city gates. And And... and then in teaching and, and uh, in the synagogues, they were the, the teachers. And, and if they weren't the ones teaching, they were still the ones sitting in the, the, the front seats. And it was kind of like everybody knew. You know, I, I noticed that this row is always seems to be empty. But it would be like, you know, they, if I came in, I would never sit here. I, would, I might sit there, but I wouldn't sit here because I know that's the place where the, the Pharisees sit or the scribes sit or the lawyers sit. And, and I don't want to, to presume myself in such a rank. It would be presumptuous of me to sit in such a place. 
So Jesus says the, the scribes and the Pharisees sit themselves on Moses' seat. Over years of tradition, this is what has happened. They are now the spokespeople for Moses. Now, you need to understand the other side of this. We needed teachers. They needed teachers. They needed those who studied the Word and understood the Word of God. And so, this isn't something that is looked at in a sense of as negative. In fact, Jesus goes as far as to say, uh, as, they, as they teach the Word of God, listen to it and be obedient to it. If they Don't copy what they do, but listen to their teachings as they teach the Word of God. And be, subsur- you know, uh, be subservient to that, if you will, be obedient to it, and, 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 and listen to it. So, they needed the teachers. And you think of the, the, the dispersions when the people were separated from Jerusalem and from the temple and cast literally out throughout the, the known world, uh, sent in, in groups and in, in, in great numbers to the far east and, and to the far west, trying to break down the people as a nation. And it is an amazing thing. I don't, I, I always say it cautiously, I don't know all the things that God is yet to really going to do through the Hebrew people. I know some of it from what the Scripture says. But He's not done with them as a people even now. And, you know, in 1948, when, G, when the nation of Israel became a nation again, that was an amazing thing. And while there may have been great manipulation of men behind the scenes trying to make this happen and all these things, it wouldn't have happened without God's permission. And we look at Scripture and see there's God is yet to do something with this people. So they were teachers and scholars of the Word. We needed them. They needed them. We need them today. We have pastors and elders and teachers in our churches. Uh, hi. <laughs> and, and, and so... This isn't a wrong thing other than that what had happened was the way it had become for these people in a sense of prestige, of being set apart. They, they, they set themselves apart. We are, and they actually took an attitude of we are better than. We are greater than those people. I know I've said it several times, but when, when they would accuse Jesus of hanging around with sinners and, 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 and drunkards and this type of thing, what he was hanging around with was the common people. If Jesus was really who he needed to be, he'd have been hanging around the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the, 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 the Herodians, somebody. But he wouldn't have been hanging around with the rank and file. What good is that going to do? How, how can he possibly discuss and, and the, the things of Scripture with them? They had, in addition to the law of Moses, built a, 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 another group of, of, of rules and laws, if you will, uh, around it. You might say like a fence or like a hedge. And, and, and I had it described to me by, by uh, one of my professors in, in, in Bible college that it was, you know, this, this hedge was like a, a flashing yellow light. You know, if you, if, if you touch any part of this hedge, uh, that lets you know that you're getting close to possibly breaking the law of God. So, these were kind of like warning lights. Well, like anything that, that you have, things can get institutionalized and become tradition. And after a while, these laws became just as important, and in some cases, even more important to many of the, the Jewish leaders than the law itself. And so they were not only interpreters of the law of Moses, but they were interpreters of over 613 more additional uh, laws uh, that they had brought together as to uh, how they needed to be and to live and to worship. This was, again, 
all the more setting them aside. I, I have to work my field every day. Or I have to work in my, my shop every day. Or I have to work over here with my, my pottery wheel every day. Or whatever it is that I have to do. And as a result, I don't have time to study the Word like these men do. These men can spend the whole day just studying and talking and debating the Word of God and, and questioning and, and, and coming to, you know, so that they can know it. And so I can come to them and say, uh, you know, if I need a blessing or if I need an understanding, I can come to them and get this help. Now, an interesting side note to this was that the scribes and the Pharisees were also very adept at creating loopholes. Isn't it interesting that they would be such legalistic people and yet they would turn around and create loopholes as to how to get out from underneath the law on certain things. The one that you're probably as familiar with as any would be one that's repeated in messages and sermons a lot, and that's where Jesus condemns them for not taking care of their parents. That's the law of the Word, but you see, they had come up with the, the idea of Corbin which was the ability to set everything aside and commit it to, to the Lord's work, ministry. And therefore, you know, I, 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 my, yeah, I know my parents are hungry, but... Or my parents are in need, but... I, and it's hard for me to imagine that you could get that hard-hearted. But they had. And so they created these loopholes and, and different things. And because they were the, 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 the keepers of the law, so to speak, the, the teachers of the law, they sat on the seat of Moses, as, in a sense, as a, as a picture, that who am I, a common person, to challenge that? Surely they know. They've put this and this, and this together and have come up with an understanding that I never would be able to do on my own because I'm not a scholar. We've got to remember, too, that it's not like we have today. How many of us can just you know, uh, walk up to a bookshelf in our, in our house and uh, pick up a Bible? Or another Bible? Or another Bible? Maybe on a bookshelf you have three or four or five Bibles of different versions. Maybe you have one of those additions to that. You maybe have one of those four parallel Bibles and, and, and all of these different things that you might uh, be able to get a gist and a study of, of. They didn't have that. They needed these teachers. It was an important part of their culture and their need and, and, and an assistant, assist, assisting them in their knowing who God is and how to worship to come before Him. In verse 3, He says, do what they tell you to do in the sense of Moses' law as they sit on Moses' seat. Do what they tell you to do. But not what they do. For they preach, but do not practice. In other words, they're real good at telling you what to do but they're, they, they know all the ins and outs and loopholes and, 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 and things as to how to avoid it themselves. So they could easily, and it's, it's again hard for me to picture this, but they could easily condemn you for something that you're not doing, which they may not be doing themselves. But they have another rule over here for the, 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 them as scribes or, 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 or Pharisees that allows them to. It gives them leeway. So basically, Jesus is saying their instructions when it comes from the, uh, from the, from the law of Moses is valuable. Uh, but don't copy their lifestyle. They preach, but they do not practice. What Jesus saw uh, in their lives, uh, they turned the law and the precepts into Heavy burdens for lay people. And they were kind of content in making it hard for the lay people to understand the Word of God without them. 
that made them essential, that made them key. Through the centuries, we've had seasons in the church where we've done that. You know, we, we've you know taken it a point where where only the 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 the, the person that, that teaches the word uh, is the is the person that everybody must come to. And in seasons of our history where where illiteracy was big and different things, they depended again on these people. And again, we saw things that I think initially started out for good, but became institutionalized in such a way that they ended up glorifying themselves rather than God. So Jesus is saying, the Word of God, when they teach it, yes, listen, but don't copy what they do. They're not practicing what they preach. They turn the laws and precepts into heavy burdens and they put them on your back, but they don't apply them to themselves. As a result, they gave no sense of comfort from the Word of God. No sense of comfort or no sense of help to those who were seeking God's grace and mercy. You think about the way they thought about the common people. Oh, those sinners. You think of the, the, the picture of the, of the person uh, coming the, 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 to prayer. The Pharisee thanking you, oh, thank you, God, for not making me like this one over here. You know, the one who collects the taxes. He's, you know, thank you for making me a Pharisee or a scribe or a keeper of the law in some way. Thank you, oh God, for this. It became a situation of, of, of hierarchy and a seat of honor. Now, you think of these people and if you add Rome to the burden of the everyday people, these people were really oppressed. They were oppressed by the keepers of their faith and they were oppressed by the Roman Occupiers. Roman occupiers, you know what they could do. They could, they could make you serve them in various capacities, including even having to carry their suitcase for them for a, uh, for a mile. Interesting what Jesus said about that. Carry it a mile, give them two miles instead. Bless them. So contrary to the way we think. sense of hopelessness and helplessness for these people. Always a sense for them, if only we could be rid of Rome, we could get things in order. This had become something that had, had over the, 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 the last uh, couple of centuries, it had become a reality for them. Uh, you know, get rid of Greece, get rid of Rome, get rid of, a, of, uh, of our occupiers. Then everything would be hunky-dory on the way to glory. Everything would be okay. That was what they were wanting. As I was looking through this, I, I, I got this one picture in my mind that comes back that Jesus shared on the Sermon on the Mount about in chapter 7 about uh, specks and planks. You know, the, the Pharisees were, were, were looking at the specks in all the people's eyes and they were real good at pointing them out and seeing them. And Jesus says, beware of the plank that's in your eye. It needs to be removed first. The plank versus the speck. Jesus was pointing out that there was corruption within the framework of the leadership. In the framework of the way they used it to serve themselves. So scribes and Pharisees, Jesus says, they don't practice what they preach. And we say you know, today how important it is that we practice what they, we preach. And there's some people that have come up with, and it was interesting as I was reading through an article about this, uh, this one group of people said that this was actually part of a, of a conversation that had gone on as to uh, setting up a new church and, and the things that they were going to emphasize. 
and and uh, they they said we're only going to preach what we practice. Or the other side of it is don't preach what you don't practice. I was instructed that if you wait until you've got it perfect to preach it, you'll never get to go to the pulpit. <laughs> Any part of it. Any part of it. So I don't come to you this morning with, with having perfection here, but with, with hopefully struggling with insight along with you as, as we, we look at these words together. We need to preach and teach with a, I, I, what I put here, with a Psalm 51 heart. An understanding of who I am before God and how much I need His redemption and His deliverance and Him walking and working in my life so that I might assist others in the same struggle. But the scribes and the, and the, and the Pharisees, this, this humility, this brokenness was not part of their lifestyle. But they didn't hesitate to put it on the lay people. How interesting. These teachers, those leaders, had truly become an upper class people. We get to verse 5 and it says that uh, they did all their deeds to be seen by others. Jesus isn't playing lightly here. He's saying everything they do is with the pretense first for recognition, to be seen by others. Does that mean that every single one of these people were in that category on every single thing that they did? No, but it was the general rule of thumb. We've already covered some of this that Jesus has talked about before. Again, on the Sermon of the Mount, when Jesus talks about giving alms, it was a common practice for these uh, to, to give out the low denomination coins, if you will, and, 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 and have spread them around and do it with a trumpet fanfare so people would know to come and to gather and to collect. And, and, and they, they weren't even denting their tithe, let alone their, 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 their living. But, but, but it was the idea of, of recognition. Jesus says, do it in quiet. Do it, do it quietly. Prayer. Standing on the street corner and, and praising God versus coming quietly to your prayer closet. Fasting. Oh, I've got to put on my fasting garb so that everybody will know, you know that Bob Hapgood is a, is a holy man of God and fasting today. I do recall one time in a church where we were having fasting and I completely forgot. And I was eating something and someone came up to me and said, oh, aren't you fasting? Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, but, you know, it, was, it came across really harsh. It was kind of like, you know, they didn't just come up and, and it was kind of like in front of everybody, oh, aren't you fasting? And, you know, you're immediately... Yeah. Uh, so, you know, the idea was is is that we are to do these things in secret. And when he says in secret, what he's saying is 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 that in such a way that you're not drawing attention to yourself. They did their their deeds to be seen by others. They already covered, uh, like I said, they already covered some of this earlier in, in Matthew. Even their phylacteries and their fringes were designed to draw attention to themselves. Somebody's saying phylacteries. Okay, thank you. What's a phylactery? It was simply something that comes out of out of out of the the, the uh, an interpretation of Deuteronomy, which we've read a couple of times now in the last couple of weeks. Deuteronomy chapter uh, six, where it talks about bind the word on your your forehead, on your arm, and this type of. They had a little box with, with pieces of scripture, paper with scripture written on it, and they would bind them literally on their forehead and on their arms. That wasn't a wrong thing to do. That was part of their worship. In fact, a number of people that were, were literate and could do that, they, 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 they did that. But as soon as they were done, they took them off. You know? 
But these guys, they, 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 they wore them all the time. Not only did they wear them all the time, but they said, you know, the, the, the box was this big, you know, was sufficient. So they made theirs like, you know, something that, that stood up, you know, that no ands, ifs, or buts about. They had it. Maybe, and, and, and I had no idea that, that this was, was something that would have been done until I was reading uh, Warren Wiersbe on this, but he was saying that, that some of them, uh, you know, were noted for having. You know, the idea was that there there was more scriptures in their box. That's why their boxes needed to be bigger. So out of Deuteronomy chapter four, uh, chapter six, verses four through nine, they came up with this idea of doing this, and and then the fringes came out of November, out of Numbers chapter fifteen, which was a thing that God told them to do, to mark their clothes with fringes, that little tassels that hang down, to remind them daily. As they dressed, as they, as they, you know, and as they walked, as they walked, looked down, they would see to remind themselves daily of the word of God and applying it to their day-to-day life and to their walk. So what they did was they made theirs bigger. Again, you know, I thought about <laughs> the only thing that I could equate that to in my thinking was was the the. Uh, Amy Grant's song, the, the Fat, Fat, Fat Baby. Maybe some of you will remember that out of the, the 70s. And, and he had the biggest King James you've ever seen. You know, uh, the idea of, of, of you know, showing up to church and you've got a Bible like this. Or maybe some of you have seen a, a slightly more contemporary, although I guess it's not contemporary anymore because it came out of the 70s. Hmm. Uh, movie called The Super Christian. And, uh, and, and he, he was... He, you know, the the idea was he, he was like, you know, the the plate, the offering plate came by. He would sit there and go and put his money in this way, one dollar at a time. You know, you know, so everybody would see. Uh, he whatever he did, he did to draw attention to himself. That was the point of the movie, and and so we we see these things that that, that we can actually get caught up in ourselves. We want to be careful. Uh, wearing our Sunday best. Now, is it wrong to, 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 to dress to go to church? Uh, dress up some. This is a thing in our culture in the last three decades has been a definite, almost hurtful thing in some ways. Um, all I can go to is, is, is something that, you know, and, and part of it has to do with the ministries that were, were the, the 70s movements of the Jesus people coming to the Lord, and, and they were hippies. They didn't, a lot of them didn't have homes. They didn't have places to get cleaned up. They only had one set of clothing. Uh, and, and a number of these churches were drawing them in. I will pick on Chuck Smith. They had a tent church not too far from the beach. And these people flocked in, in their leather vests and their long hair and, and, and not so clean smelling bodies, and they flocked to the front they, and sat on the, uh, the, the, the ground in front of the chairs, and that's where they sat. By the way, I don't know how many of you know Greg, have heard of Greg Laurie and Mike McIntosh and a number of others. They came out of that group. But when they went into their new facility in Costa Mesa, the people were doing, these guys were doing the same thing. And the board came to Chuck and says, what are we going to do about this? What are we... And Chuck says, I didn't know you were looking for a new pastor. So Chuck you know, kind of opened the door to this in a, in a way that some people say was good, some people say was bad. The idea was that it's not what you wear that makes the difference. And so, you know, uh, I can remember uh, Kathy and I had been in church just for a short period of time. Um, Occasionally, I can get into baritone, and so they wanted me in the choir. And so I was singing up there, and, and I was, as, as I was uh, sitting with the other people, a, a, a hippie couple walked in, and you, I mean, the beads, the, the hair, the braids, all of it, you know, and the, the beard, oh. <laughs> uh, the hair, and all of this, and, 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 uh, they came in and sat down, and one of the people who were sitting just two seats away from me said, Oh my, look what the wind blew in this morning. 
Now, it made me wonder what they thought of me when I showed up to church in my Levi's in, in open shirt and long hair and beard. Yeah, uh, but, you know, I, what I'm getting at is, is that we get so distracted by the things that aren't important. In this case, these people had created themselves to a position where they wanted everything they did to be seen and, and, and to be given credit for everything that they did. They did nothing in secret. They did it all in such a way as to be in a sense of pretense to be seen right down to the phylacteries on their forehead and the fringe on their, on their clothes. Uh, they, verse 6 says, they wanted the place of honor at the feasts. Today we'd say the head table. They wanted to be seated, sat, sat at the head table. And they were. If you were a, a scribe or a Pharisee, if you had planned uh, some kind of uh, thing of a wedding and there was a possibility... In fact, you even planned for it if there wasn't a possibility, you know, in the sense that you didn't expect it, for a couple of seats left unused just in case. They love the public attention. You've got to understand now, they're, they're, they're wearing these headgear and stuff that, with these big phylacteries on their, their forearms. Some of them even when they're still on their forearms. They're wearing their robes with their extra uh, big tassels and stuff like that. So when you see one in the marketplace, you know that that person is a Pharisee. And they were greeted by the people, Oh, Rabbi! It's, uh, it's an honor to see you, sir. Sir. And uh, somebody said, good morning, sir, to me this morning. And I said, well, no, not today, of all days, <laughs> no. Uh, the, the idea is, is that, that, that they wanted that. That's why they were doing this. And quite candidly, if you snubbed it, if you didn't do it, somehow I, you know, and, you know, it would come back around to you. But Jesus, he says to the, to the, specifically to the disciples, but the crowd is still listening. And, and, and by the way, when, you, when all of these things are being said, I can't help but think that the, that the crowd's kind of looking around for some of them guys. You know, oh, there's one over there. <laughs> there's, there's six of them over there. Look, you know, they could pick, pick them out. And they would be that obvious. They would be able to pick them out of the crowd. But Jesus says to, to, the, to, to them, you're not to be called rabbi. You're not to be called father. You're not to be called instructor. Why? Because you're all brothers. You're all equal. There's none of you higher than others. Now, I will get to this and be cautious, very careful with this. But when he says, you, you know, uh, you have one teacher, you have one father, you have one instructor. Again, I go back to Wiersbe on this one. He, he saw as you have one teacher, actually referring to the Holy Spirit, one Father, God the Father, and one instructor, uh, God the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, it's all covered. You know, you don't have a man to take any of those places. So that's where recognition is due. You're all brothers, you're all equal. But I, 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 I at the same time realize there has to be a note of caution here. Don't overreact in this. You know, Paul was very clear that there are those that are called elders, there are pastors, there are teachers, evangelists, prophets, based on your gifts, this type of thing. And, and, and it's not wrong to identify with these things. But when you start to make them more important than, and even that happened in the Corinthian church. So, you know, oh, I've got this gift. I am more important. No. We're all equal before the throne of God. None of us. The person standing in the pulpit has no more importance before the throne of God than anyone else in the congregation. We've been given different gifts to serve the Lord. And as we identify these gifts, it's, we'll call some people, oh, well, that's the person who teaches. Or, uh, In fact, you know, normally uh, I'm considered, if, if you look at it, the, the way we're set up and here is I'm one of the elders. I'm not the head elder. I am one of the elders. 
And not only that, but we, we say, well, my specific call is to be the teaching elder. However, all elders are called to teach. And as a result, all of our elders periodically preach in the pulpit. But, but you know, it's, it's one of these things that you, you turn and you say, uh, we are all, you know, we're not to get caught up with these titles. The thing that we're to get caught up with would be more in line again with the Sermon on the Mount. Let your light shine before men that they might see your good works. Is it wrong for the world to see your good works? No. That's not the problem. See your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. In other words, they'll see your good works and say, oh, this man's been with Jesus. (laughs) They don't say, oh, what a great guy he is. Now, persons that are in a community uh, and they're unsaved, they may not know how to distinguish that. But within the church, we do. We are told. Let your light shine so that your works will be known, but that God will get the glory. These scribes and the Pharisees were talking, were taking the honor for themselves. They were usurping God's honor and glory for themselves. That was the problem. A different commentator, but it was it was something that I noted, and I didn't write down which one said this, but Jesus didn't accuse the scribes and the Pharisees of being too strict. You notice that? He didn't say, oh, you're too strict, you're taking this too, you know. What he said was, you know, you're, you're, you're empty. <laughs> you're, you're, you're filled with self, but not with God. That's the problem. He told them about tithing. You tithe dill in common. Is that a wrong thing to do? To tithe your spices from the garden? Not if you're convicted about it. In fact, Paul would say, if you're convicted about it, better do it. Does that mean that you have the right to come over to my house and tell me, oh, you need to, to, to tithe the, the corn you grew out there. And since you, you're eating the, the corn, you can't bring the corn to church. You've got to tithe its value. We can get so carried away with legalism again. You want to be careful. But the picture here was, was Jesus wasn't accusing them of being too strict. He was accusing them of being uh, without God in their heart. And taking all the glory and the honor for themselves rather than saying, not me, but God. And we struggle with this today. We get caught up with things about titles. You know, it was, a, it was an eye-opening experience for me. I went through uh, college in a secular college, graduated from Cal Poly, uh, and, and, and I had all these different teachers, and a, a few of them insisted that they be called by their rank. If they had the, the, the position of doctorate in their field, they wanted to be called Dr. So-and-so. Uh, if they weren't called doctor so-and-so, that they had their master's degrees, nonetheless, they were called professor so-and-so. Not very many of them had anything less than their master's, so, that was, but, so it was either professor or doctor. The irony was that, that they, were, they might be teaching the same courses, <laughs> you know, but it didn't matter. So, I, and I can remember that it was extremely important that they, you know, uh, I, I mean, I had one in particular who would reprimand you in class. Uh, Mr., Mr., I'll just say, Mr. Roberts. That is Dr. Roberts. Seriously. Now, my dad told me that they deserved this honor because they had worked hard for it. And in a sense of my part of to honor what they have done and strive to do, it was not wrong for me to call them Dr. Roberts. But for them to demand it, it would be kind of a coming again like, ah, that's, that's pretty harsh. Now, when I got to Bible college, I met a number of doctors and professors, and none of them went... You know, they didn't sign their name Dr. So-and-so or Professor... You know, they, 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 they did prefer... We had, had a general rule that you were a student. They were the teacher. And you called them Mr. 
or misses. But, or miss. But, but they didn't go around. And there was a few of these teachers that we had that were, were I remember one who was our, our Greek professor, Man, he was he was offered jobs at the Chicago Institute for Languages and 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 at Columbia and New York and all these different places. And here he was in this little small uh, college in San Jose uh, of a few hundred students, because this is where God called him to be, and that's where he knew he was supposed to be. You knew George, <laughs> and uh, and 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 so you know. You, you look at this, it, it, it was such a, a, a paradigm shift for me to see humility in my instructors and my teachers. What were they trying to teach me in the process? Humility. Why? Because if it weren't for Christ, this wouldn't be. If it weren't for Christ, this wouldn't have happened. If it wasn't for Christ, Christ deserves the glory, the honor. He allowed these things to happen that I can be where I am now. And so he gets the glory. Paul speaks to us today about this in Romans chapter 12. He says, Offer yourselves as a living sacrifice so that you don't look like the world, but you look like the things of Christ. I know that that's a paraphrase, but that's, it's, 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 uh, the picture is to see. Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed into the, into the things of, of the kingdom of God. He talks about not only us being a living sacrifice, but being members of one body. We may have different gifts, but we're all part of the same body. And then he goes on in chapter 12, starting with the ninth verse, going 9 through 21, about the various marks of a Christian. And you can go through there and you can see, these are the things I'm to strive for, but not because I want you to say, oh, what a good Christian Bob is. I'm cautious when I say it that way because that's not necessarily always true. I do want you to think well of me. I actually have to confess that I want you to think well of my sermons. I want you to think well of my teaching. And there are times when I've probably got into the pulpit more hoping that you enjoyed the sermon because I put so much work into it than, than you, you know, with the wrong motives. It happens. But these ideas of the marks of the Christian are to separate us out and point us to the right direction. In fact, I figured I would probably close with, with, with reading that this morning. Romans chapter 12, starting with the ninth verse. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love, another, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. These people were, were wanting to, to be the honored that, that, Paul, that, that Jesus was speaking about here. He says here we're to, to try to outdo each other in showing honor. In other words, it, and it's, not, you know, it's not so much a contest as much as it is just that I, I want to honor you. I want to bless you. And, 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 and the ideal would be that it starts with your marriage and, and, and into your family and, and then into the community of believers. And the idea is that God catches us going at each other, striving to bless each other. Isn't that a beautiful picture when you start to think about it? That we, our goal is to want to bless each other, to minister to one another, to lift each other up. Showing honor to one another. Verse 11, do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. It's okay to be excited about the Lord. And not because you want to draw attention to yourself, but because it's okay to be excited about the Lord. When I see these boys over here singing the songs, I get so excited because that is uninhibited praise. When Matthew is here and he sings, and, you know, I don't know how much you know about Matt and his, his language vocabulary. It's extremely limited until they start singing. And I have actually seen him sing the words to songs when it's the first time we've sung it in church. He doesn't read. 
It's just something the Lord has blessed him with. He loves to sing together with the body. This idea of, 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 of to you know, be fervent in spirit, wanting to serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. By the way, that bless those who persecute you. That's how I know when Jesus is, is having to, to point out these things, he's doing it with sadness in his heart. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceable with all. As much as it depends on you, live peaceable with all. Does that mean you're going to always live at peace with everybody? No. But as much as it's up to you, you strive for it. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. But leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is so doing, uh, you, uh, if he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing, uh, so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. What Christ wants from us is a simple faith that says, I love the Lord Jesus Christ with all my soul, with all my heart, with all my mind. And I love my neighbor as myself. And I worship Him and praise Him and thank Him. Quietly and frequently. Are there times where God invites me to be outspoken? Yes. When He does that, when the opportunity is there, what does He ask us to do? Be outspoken. Speak the Word of God. If we didn't do that, we wouldn't be able to evangelize. But at the same point, don't evangelize to the point where you're taking your big King James Bible and hitting them over the head with it, you know. Uh, you know, I, and, I, and I'd, I'd see, I've seen that happen too. The final thought I had was that you know the great shall be uh, the, the this idea of marks of a, of a servant. But it says the greatest shall be servants. The humble yourself. Let let God exalt when, where, and and as He chooses. Is how I kind of paraphrase that. Let God, you be humble. Let God exalt you when and where He chooses. And then it, it was uh, something that, 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 that came up from, and as I was going through it, I realized, and, and I saw it written in three or four different places, so it must have been an, an early church uh, teacher or uh, leader that, that, that had written this. No one out humbles God. No one out-humbles God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He emptied Himself and became a servant. A servant even to the point of being a man. Even to the point of death on the cross. No one out-humbles God. Isn't that an amazing picture? And God has given us communion to remind us the humility of what He did to be able to exalt us and lift us up. How dare we presume to take honor for ourselves? <laughs> That's really what I got out of this. You know? God, you can't out-humble God. He still humbled Himself. Look what He did. I have no claim to this except through the blood of Christ. I have no right to it except through the blood of Christ. There's no deserving. There's no earning. There's no purchase on my part. There's only the I believe with my heart and, 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 and I profess with my mouth. 
that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Ask the ushers to come and uh, uh, pass the emblems out, hold them until we've all been served, and uh, we'll share together.